Good day to your kingdom family. Today we are dealing with John chapter 6. Now scholars tell us that between John chapter 5 and chapter 6 there's probably a period of about six months plus. And we know the story well. It's where Jesus is on his way to the Passover with his disciples. They get to a place obviously to rest where they are tired and he sits down on a hillside and he obviously had his head down just resting and it says he lifts up his head and he looks across the field and he sees a multitude of people coming towards him. Now remember Jesus was way ahead of everybody else. He knew what was going to happen. He knew what he was going to do. That is obviously to us in John chapter 6 verse 34 and 35. We, we are going to get to that just now. I also want to say because it's a long chapter, I'm going to paraphrase quite a number of the verses and I'm also going to lift out kingdom principles that I shared with you yesterday that we would have now in John chapter 6. Anyway, so he talks to his disciples and he says, listen, guys, uh, we need to feed this multitude. Now, just work through this with me. If you and I were sitting on that hillside with Jesus, would you have looked at him twice? I do believe I would have, because I would have looked at Jesus, looked at the money bag and looked at the crowd that's approaching. Now, we know the Bible says it's about 5,000 men. Uh, many say it probably was in the region of nine or 10,000, including the women and the children. Be that as it may, a multitude, a crowd, a huge number of people is coming towards Jesus. And he already knew what he was going to do. It says that he was testing the disciples. We know the story. There's a guy that's a little boy that's got his lunchbox. There. He's got two fish and five barley loaves. And Jesus takes the bread. He takes the fish. I like what it says in one of the other Gospels. He looks up to heaven. He breaks the bread. And he says, Father, that I, I thank you that you hear me and that you always hear me. And he breaks the bread and the fish. And I like what it says in verse 11. He distributes this to his disciples. He gives it to the disciples. And the disciples takes the bread and the fish and they hand it out to the people. But later on in the Gospels, it says that the disciples did not believe the feeding of the multitude. Now, this is an important fact. We're going to get to this again just now. Where the disciples at this particular point in time, they're receiving the bread and the fish from Jesus. They're handing it out to the hungry people and they're not believing the miracle. It's like, guys, what are you missing here? And also in verse 12 and 13 now, a lot of fragments are left over and Jesus doesn't like to waste. He tells them to go get all the fragments and guess how many baskets they fall. In verse 13, it says they fall 12 baskets. And this is not by accident. This is not by chance that 12 baskets, hand baskets are filled with the fragments that are left over. Because it's one for every unbelieving disciple to even take home. What is the point here? Here it, here it is. Even in our unbelief, Jesus still feeds us. Like wow. Even in our unbelief, even at times when our faith is low, even at times where maybe life is pressing on us, even at those times, it says that Jesus feeds us. He gives, he gives us the bread. He gives us the, the food of life. He gives us what is needed for us to be sustained. And he also obviously gives us physical food. Now, when the people saw in verse 14 that the sign of the miracle that Jesus had performed was like so awesome, they began saying, but this must be the prophet that everybody's been talking about. In verse 15, the scene changes where the disciples are now getting into a boat and Jesus, because of the crowd, is withdrawing himself again. And I like to call this father time. He goes 
up onto a hillside again by himself and he spends time in the presence of the Father. During this time of lockdown, we have so much time to spend with the Father for him to download into us. And Jesus did this on a regular basis. The disciples are now in the boat. The Bible reckons they're about three, four miles into the ocean and the Sea of Galilee. And the storm arises and they are all, it actually says they are terrified. And in verse 20, Jesus arrives on the scene and he says, It is I, do not be afraid. I am. Stop being so frightened. Here is the first kingdom principle that I spoke about that is now mentioned in John chapter 6. Jesus says, stop being frightened. I am. This is what is called in theology a tetragrammation. It's actually from Exodus chapter 3 verse 14. It's where Jesus uses the divine title. He does that a number of times and you're going to see it later on as well in John chapter 8. Where Jesus now, he makes an makes a declaration, so to speak. He says, I am. What he is saying is, I am God and I'm here with you because fear cannot coexist with me. Oh, wow. I, I somehow get excited with that. <laughs> he says to them, it is I. I am. Do not be frightened any longer because fear and faith cannot coexist. You cannot have fear and faith operating at the same time. And this goes back to Exodus 3.14, where Moses was uh, in, the, in the presence of God. And he says, but who will I say sent me when I come to the Israelites? And God said to him, you tell them I am sent you unto them. And this is the same phrase that Jesus used at this particular point in time. Now we know that the people are really looking for Jesus because of this miracle that had taken place. But it says in verse 26, And Jesus answered them, I assure you, most solemnly I tell you, you have been searching for me, not because you saw the miracles and the signs, but because you were fed with the loaves and were filled and you were satisfied. These people just were never satisfied. Here they are not following Jesus because of the signs and miracles anymore. They are now following him because they were fed. And Jesus goes in explaining to them that, listen guys, in essence, and again I'm paraphrasing, you need to still keep on working. You need to still do what you're doing because obviously a lot of these people during their daily work and what they did, they received wages and with that they bought bread. And now in essence they were saying to themselves, but we can just hang around with Jesus and he'll feed us every day. You see the point there? That is why in verse 28, then they said, what are we to do that we may then habitually be working the works of God? What are we to do to carry out what God requires? How many of you have not asked, what is God's will for my life? What are the works that I need to do for God? What are the things that I need to do? And we constantly want to do instead of just to be. And he explain, explains that and expresses that in verse 29. Jesus replied, this is the work or the service that God asks you to do. That you believe in the one whom he has sent and that you cleave to trust in and rely on him and that you have faith in his messenger, which is, of course, Jesus. Jesus was in essence saying here, you need to move across from wanting to do works and into believing who I am. So I want to say to you, you can only do the works once you believe who he is, because works flow from whom you are in him. You need to maybe listen to that again. Because Jesus, in who he is in his person, is the giver of ministry. He's the one that tells us what to do. But we first have to be in him and secure in who he is, in his revelation to us. 
before we can flow in ministry. I mentioned something similar to that yesterday. In verse 30, therefore they say to him, what sign or miracle or wonder work will you perform then so that we can believe in you? You know what, guys, I'm thinking, maybe you thinking what I'm thinking is, do you just not get it? How many works must he still do for you to believe? Can you see Jesus' point right from chapter 1 all the way to where we are now, where he constantly was saying to them, believe me for who I am, believe God, believe the Father for who he is. Instead of just looking at the works and the miracles and the signs the whole time and wanting to see these things before you believe. They then, of course, switch across again to the Old Testament. They go into the thing of Moses and their fathers in the desert and how they were fed. And then Jesus here says to them, it wasn't Moses that fed you. The fed that, excuse me, the feed, um, the feeding of, of you in the wilderness was from, was from heaven. And now Jesus makes the statement, and this is our kingdom principle here again. The second one in verse 35 where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never be hungry, and he who believes in and cleaves and trusts in and relies on me will never thirst any more at any time. This is the first of the seven I am's that Jesus um, declares in the Gospel of John. Here he says, I am the bread of life. Why? Because this is our basic need. But he is the bread from heaven. He is the one who feeds us eternal bread. The Jews now lock into this whole thing in verse 30, 41 where Jesus is now talking about him being the bread. Obviously, they're not impressed. The, G, the Jews now murmured and found fault with and grumbled about Jesus because of what he said. When he said, I am myself the bread that came down from heaven. In verse 44, no one is able to come to me, Jesus speaking, unless the father who sent me attracts and draws him and gives him the desire to come to me. And then I will raise him up from the dead at the last day. Here it is. All of us who are serving God today have been drawn by the Father to be saved through Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to say that again. We were drawn in by the Father to be saved by Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the Father is the one who drew us. And Jesus now goes on in verse 48. He says, I am the bread of life that gives life. I'm the living bread. So he says that I'm the living bread. Verse 50 says I'm the bread from heaven. He is the eternal life in verse 50. Verse 51 says he's the living bread. And now he talks about uh, his body and his blood that has to be eaten and his blood must be taken. That he, he, they must drink his blood in order to be part of him. What do the Jews do? They flip out completely, brother. They lose it because Jesus said to them, you need to drink of me in order to have eternal life. They obviously become infuriated with Jesus because of the fact that he says now that they must drink his blood. Of course, in Jewish custom, that was a no-no. They get so upset with Jesus. But listen to this in verse 60 onwards, the disciples hear this as well, and they freak out. They actually go, and as I said, I'm paraphrasing now, I don't want to read all of that. They basically go into a station of panic now, saying, but who can believe this now? Uh, this is a hard saying. And in fact, they actually get, they feel that they are now scandalized because they are walking with Jesus. They are shocked out of their Jerusalem sandals. <laughs> they are so upset with Jesus because of the statement that he made. In essence, they were saying, Jesus, you are already so unpopular. I mean, like, really, do you have to say these things? What do you mean by the things you just said? Don't you know what this is going to cause? This is, in essence, what the disciples were saying. 
Jesus now carries on. He says in verse 63, it's the spirit who gives life. He's the life giver. The flesh conveys no benefit whatever. There's no profit in it. The words and the truths that I've been speaking to you, this is spirit and this is life. What happens now in verse 66 is the disciples, they just reckon this is too much. And it says they are returning away. Sorry, they are returning to their old associations. They're moving away from Jesus. It's amazing that it's verse 66 because it's the number of flesh. So they go back into flesh in verse 66. They go back into what they know. They go back into what is familiar. Instead of taking on this heart saying of Jesus, believing that he knows what he's doing and he knows what he's talking about and continuing to follow him. Jesus now turns to the disciples that are left. And there are only 12 left. The rest are gone. They're out of there. Jesus turns to them and he says, listen, guys. And I'm paraphrasing again. From what I just said, are you also going to go? Are you also going to hit the highway? And Peter's the one who turns around and he says, Lord, where, where are we going to go? What are we going to do? You are the one who carry the words of life. This is what Peter says to him. You carry the words of life. Not only does he say that, but he says, you are the Holy One of God. You are the Christ. You are the anointed one. You are the son of the living God. In that day with these disciples, you know what they received? They received the bread of life. I want to ask you, how fresh is the bread of life in your life? Every morning in your home, when you wake up, and when you rise up, is there the smell of fresh bread in your home? Him who is called the bread of life. How present is he with you when you start your day? I remember as a young boy on the farm that I would wake up in the morning and I would smell that fresh bread that grandma was baking on that old coal stove. Never forget that. But every day we need to have fresh bread. Don't eat the bread from yesterday. It's gone stale, just like the manna that they received in the desert. It's better that you receive the fresh bread every single day that will feed you forever. Father, I thank you today in the mighty name of Jesus, that Jesus, you are the bread of life. Thank you, Father, that you sent to us fresh bread from heaven, that we may receive it as often as we want to on a daily basis. Jesus, I thank you that even right now as I'm speaking, that you are fresh bread to every single person who's listening right now. Thank you that as they just listen to this prayer, that they can have their senses in, um, basically uplifted right now, have their senses uh, sensitized to receive the aroma of the bread from heaven. And Jesus, that you become so real to them in their situation right now, that they will look up to you and say, thank you, bread of heaven, that you feed us and you feed us always. We give you all praise, glory, adoration, and thanksgiving today, Father, that we have the fresh bread from you. In Jesus' name, amen.